am Amy Sanji Choi. And I'm Rebecca Henny Sophia Goodfriend Lehrer. And we are the Mashup Americans. Uh, wait a minute. Can you say that again? You heard me, Rebecca <laughs> Henny Sophia Goodfriend Lehrer. <laughs> that is a lot of name. What is going on there? Yeah, just who I am. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's like biblical name, a good Jewish name. All my cousins are, we're Rebecca, Rachel, Sarah, and Leah on one side. Um, <laughs> and my parents wanted, I was the first girl on both sides. So it was like, how can I represent both, you know, great grandmothers who had passed away, who, who I could take their name because in Jewish tradition, you can't be named after anybody who is alive, or at least in Ashkenazi Jewish tradition. So we've got a Jewish name, you know, we've got great grandmothers and then last name, many last names, which is like a whole Latin thing too. You keep everybody's names in, you got to represent everybody and tell your whole life history. It's sort of DNA strands just in your name. <laughs> and then names have to be good in different cultures. It's just like, that's it. That's my name. <laughs> well, you got a lot of stuff going on and I am happy to see it all. You Thank you. I mean, I feel pretty good about it, except when I have to get monogrammed things. But <laughs> so what about your name? Oh, well, I think, well, Amy is pretty straightforward. Um, my parents immigrated here from Korea in the 70s. So Jimmy Carter was in office when I was born in 79. So I was named after Amy Carter, who's just running around the White House at the time. And also Amy, easiest name on earth to pronounce for immigrants. I think that was a really strong choice. I think it's good mm -hmm. to, to pick a name you can pronounce easily. But like, what about... <laughs> Sanju. Sanju. The silent H. Sanju. There's not even... There is there's, a silent there's, H. There's no Maybe H. not so porny, but there is there's, a silent there's, H. But there's no H. It's just like, uh, it's such a trick. Um, well, so Sanju is my Korean name and also my official middle name. So, you know, a lot of Korean-American kids, um, they'll, get, they'll have like a Korean name that is their name in their family, but it's nowhere official. Mine is documented. It's on my birth certificate. And it's really special to me because in Korean culture, you share um, a generational name with your siblings. So my sister and I both share the son. Her Korean name is Hana. I'm Sunju. And it's something that I passed on to my own kids. So their Korean middle names are Chesun and Misun. Um, so yeah, obviously we're pretty into names and naming traditions, which are like <laughs> so amazing. And I love learning about different cultural naming traditions because they're so beautiful and varied. And as mashups, we talk a lot about names. I mean, you and I, like it's one of the first conversations we had about mashup life when we were thinking about starting the mashup Americans and telling these stories. Like, what do our names mean? Why do we agonize so much about what to name our kids? What are our Starbucks names? Which, as we've discussed, are just, you know, <laughs> Rebecca and Amy. And, <laughs> and don't even get us started on last names. Like, what if everyone in your immigrant family pronounces their last name differently? Oh, my God. So stressful. So much identity <laughs> crisis happening. Um, but, you know, it's a name is a declaration of ourselves. And it's a complicated declaration for mashups who have multiple identities and cultural traditions. I mean, look at your name is a perfect example. It like carries the weight of history and the promise of the future. So names have come up in so many of our podcasts, whether it's Donald Trump's family changing their name, Padma Lakshmi trying to go by Angelique as a teenager, which is... I mean, that's my favorite. That's the best. I'm going to start going by Angelique right, right now. Because you're like, <laughs> she was trying to seem more, quote unquote, American, normal American, but then she chose Angelique. <laughs> I um, love it. So good. I mean, not too so, getting harassed by Uber drivers about the meaning of her name. Like, did you know that it's a Muslim name? She's like, oh, no, I did didn't know that my name is Muslim name. Thank you for Ooh, surprise. Yeah, explaining my name. But today we're actually going to just go deep on names. Ooh. 
Well, in just a bit, we'll talk to the author and researcher Laura Wattenberg, founder of Baby Name Wizard, and we'll learn that our obsession slash anxiety with names at Mashup HQ actually makes us fit right into America. A single name, this little string of letters, can encode an enormous amount of information. It's not perfect, but it's going to give us pointers to your sex, your ethnic background, potentially your race, religion, age, and even socioeconomic status. It's a really powerful signal, and people do perceive it whether they try to or not. America, we're obsessed with names, and Laura is going to tell us why. By the way, we love it when you write to us, and we get to learn all your fabulous mashup names. In fact, you can go right now to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mashupamericans and share your Starbucks name with us because we would love to learn more. We want to hear from you. But first, we're going to ask one of our favorite podcast personalities and people about his name. Rico Galliano is the co-host of The Dinner Party Download, and you should know it's a weekly arts and culture show, but you should also know that his very interesting name features a silent letter. Rico. Suave. Rico. Rico Galliano, how do you mash up? I am a Sicilian on my father's side, and I am a Polish Jew on my mother's side, which I've learned is not necessarily the most rare of matchups. What? Really? Yeah, I think there are a lot of, well, at least a Jewish and, and, and Italian. They well, seem to get along. Yeah, there's dark hair, guilt... <laughs> Loudness. Yeah, more loudness on the Jewish side in this particular instance, I think. Really? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Definitely a uh, an emphasis on family and... Swarthiness. Uh, <laughs> to look at me, I think you'll see that there's not a lot of swarthiness going <laughs> in the Polish part of that combination. Really one out. to dominate. <laughs> yeah. And when people hear my name and then they meet me, they're kind of like, that's not what I expected. Do you ever change your name for people in order to make it easy to pronounce? No. Okay. Rico seems to be pretty easy. In fact, something that's funny is that my name, which is actually the last name especially, is spelled kind of oddly for American yeah. folk. Why do you uh, spell it? G-A-G-L-I-A-N-O. Galliano. Yeah, and there's kind of a silent G in there. Yeah. So people tend to pronounce the extra G. If people are about to encounter me, they know it's a weird name, so they figure out how to pronounce it or come mm. close anyway. Whereas my co-host, Brendan Francis Noonan, his name seems really easy, but his last name seems like a trick if it you is. want to say Newman. So they get his name wrong all the time. Yes. The most Anglo name there is. I feel like it's a tongue twister, mm -hmm. which it's not. It's just surprising. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. like that, those consonants shouldn't be where they are. <laughs> yeah. Please say your name, full name. My professional name is Rico Galliano. My full name is Francis Enrico Galliano. Ooh. So you have a very majestic name. Is it a family name? My dad was Francis and his dad was Francis. Grandpa was Francis. Dad is Frank. They have always called me Rico by the middle name. And there are two reasons for the name Enrico as my middle name. One is that my Jewish grandfather's name was Henry. Mm -hmm. And the Italian version of Henry is Enrico. Yep. But also, while my mom was pregnant with me, she is a trained opera singer. And she was listening to Enrico Caruso. Mm. And then she read, I think on the LP cover or something that they called him Rico hmm. and she was like what a cool name <laughs> so there was the double whammy of Henry and that they got to call me Rico after Enrico Caruso. but your and your Italian family was Francis is the name yeah 
So not like Francisco. Uh, apparently not, although maybe it was uh, uh, anglicized from yeah. Francisco or something. I have a friend in Italy named Francesco. Francesco, of course. I'm sorry. I made it Ciao. Spanish. Oh. Francesco sounds so cool. It's so nice. <laughs> Did you ever have a fantasy name that you used before you realized how awesome your name is? Uh, yeah. I wanted, uh, for some reason, I wanted to be called Mark. Yeah, sure. I don't know. Yeah, why sure? Because it's Explain like the it. era you're from. Yeah. I feel like a Mark, you could be, I really wanted to be called Jason. My little, I mean, I <laughs> didn't. I'm saying you might say that. I My see. little brother wanted to be called Chet. His name's Raphael. And he was like, <laughs> I want to be Chet. That's oh. kind of cool, Chet Baker. A lot of good musicians. Named yeah, Chet. but it wasn't because of that. It was like because in school, there were two Chets in his elementary school uh-huh. class, and they were just like very cool, normal, mm-hmm. you know. Why do kids want to be normal? I know. They're so into being normal. I know. I really did. Okay, so Mark, Mark G, what's the best worst pronunciation of your name that you've ever gotten? Oh, that's so easy. <laughs> I had a substitute teacher in the suburbs of Pittsburgh who was a southern lady, very lovely woman, Miss Spangler, if you're out there. Her name was Spangler. What a yeah. great southern name, so too. Good. Star Spangler. Right? Yeah. <laughs> She was a really great teacher, actually, but I remember the first time she came into our class, she she was like, okay, uh, uh, Rice Jaglianis. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Rice Jaglianis. Yeah. I still have a friend from high school who still calls me Rice Jaglianis. Definitely. I will probably call you that from now on. Oh, my God. Jaglianis. Yeah. What was yours? I don't have a complicated name to say, Rebecca Lair. I just have a lot of names. So it's Rebecca Henny Sophia Goodfriend Lair. Oh my God. And I think that is the part that really baffles people. Like it's hard enough getting somebody's name in your head when yeah. you first meet them at all. Yeah. Like I've, I probably met you three times before I fully processed totally. who the name that goes with your face. Totally. And there's so many more names. There's so many names. So, what advice do you have for folks with long, complicated, mashy names? It's tough because I think people should be whoever they want to be. And if they're really into their long, complicated, mashy name, they should use it. But I think just give people a second to process it and don't maybe think that they're going to get it right the first time because they probably won't. How do you correct people? Yeah, that's hard. I think a, a gentle, it's like, oh, actually, I prefer such and so. And even maybe acknowledging if you have a very long, complicated name. I know it's difficult. I prefer it like this. If you mess it up, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. It could be good. But at least it's kind of like the French, right? If you try to speak their language, they seem to appreciate it a little bit. Thanks for doing this. It was fun. Suave. Mm, rice galinas? Rice gal ga, mm, I can't <laughs> can't do it. No wonder he wanted to be called Mark. Rice Galina can you imagine you're in class? That's so horrible. Rico Galliano, not Rice Galenas, co-hosts the Dinner Party Download, which is also produced by American Public Media. What's your name? Baby, what's your number? Speaking of names, we love the name Veronica Moreno 010308. And Veronica happened to write an amazing review of the Mashup Americans on iTunes. She says, Girls are awesome. Listen to the podcast. They have highly insightful and interesting things to say and school us with. Keep up the great work, ladies. Thank you, Veronica. So if you're also loving our podcast, and we hope you are, do us a solid and head to iTunes.com slash mashup. Leave us five stars. Write us a review. We love hearing from you. Back to the show.
Names, 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 names. So we were lucky enough to catch up with Laura Wattenberg, the baby name wizard, and hopped on the phone for a little L.A., New York, Boston conference call to talk about names. Laura is a researcher and author, and she's the first names expert to study the cultural implications of name trends. She has a database of tens of thousands of names that she adds to every year as more names get invented. Yes, invented. I mean, we're just making shit up here. That's <laughs> America! Crazy. <laughs> All right, here's Laura. Hi, my name is... What? My name is... My name is... I will be the first to say that names do matter. And I actually think they matter more than ever before because American naming culture has changed. It's almost like moving from an office with a dress code or a uniform to a wide open dress code office. Suddenly we have a lot more choices to make and the choices we make say more. What is the American naming tradition? I think there are some fundamental bedrock assumptions Assumptions that are so fundamental that most Americans don't even realize they're making them. And among those are the idea that parents choose names for newborns. They can choose any name they want. And just the very idea that names are some special privileged set of words that are separate from a normal vocabulary. None of those are universals. They're all very much part of this culture. I was just with a friend of mine from grad school last night who's um, from Nanjing, China. She has a, a son. And I said, oh, how did you name your son? She said, well, first of all, my mother-in-law gave me a list of names. But then they actually chose the name through like a computer <laughs> because they put in like when, when he was born and all the other factors like time and date and sex and all that. And then it turns out he needed certain elements Yes, absolutely. You have to, to have the right blend of the five elements. Or in uh, some cultures in, in India and other parts of South Asia, you might uh, consult an astrologer to find out an auspicious name given the stars and the moon at the time of the birth. The grandparent tradition, I love the combination of the grandparent and the computer is the perfect old and new. The grandparent tradition you see translating a little bit into Chinese American families, where it's common now for the parents to choose an American name and ask their their parents to choose a Chinese name. Mm. So you're both honoring tradition and kind of outsourcing the job to a more qualified party. <laughs> well, so what about, you know, you, you mentioned this, that it's kind of going from having a uniform to being able to wear whatever you want. And before there was like kind of stricter rules around what names could be. And now the world seems to have, like, broken wide open for Americans naming their children or choosing their names. Why is that? It's really a profound change. If you look back to around 1960, the names Michael and David ranked among the top five names for boys in every single state in America. Are you talking was... about my uncle and my dad? <laughs> oh, okay, cool. <laughs> that, that, that was, and that's exactly it, that Michael and David in 1960 were popular in North and South, black and white, rich and poor, you cannot tell anything about the person mm. from those names. So it is kind of like a uniform. It's a universal. Today, names like that are really hard to find. The culture, the naming culture has fractured, and that means there's a lot more disagreement, and every name signals more about where you come from. There were two phases to the shift that have 
kind of broken names wide open. And the first actually started in the in the 60s, particularly the late 60s, with the rise of individualism and also the Black Power movement. Up until that point, Black and white Americans named roughly the same. So you start to see a split off at that point. But then starting in the 90s, the combination of the internet and the rise of baby name statistics made people a little bit crazy. I, I don't I don't say this in a bad way because this is this is uh, my my life's blood now. But we see names almost like usernames today. Like there's supposed to be a unique identifier in the world system. We'll go to Google, type in a first and last name combination, and panic that it's taken. Wait, aren't you glad though that? Um... Your name isn't like Laura Wattenberg, 75 or whatever year you were born in at well, Yahoo. As it, <laughs> as it happens, you know, as much as Wattenberg is not the most attractive name I could have possibly chosen, I did take my husband's name in part because my name is Laura Miller. And Laura Miller wouldn't have been just 75. I would have had to have a five-digit number after it. <laughs> so I do appreciate that, that, that there's something to be said for standing out, but there's also something to be said for fitting in. Can we talk about the African-American naming tradition? You know, so you mentioned the Black Power Movement in the 60s, you know, and that that really impacted names. Up until the 1960s, there was pretty much a standard pool of American names, very much based in the English royal naming tradition. I mean, there was a time in England centuries ago when a quarter of all babies were named John and Mary. So that's sort of where we started out. Then with the rise of the Black Power Movement in the 60s, Afrocentric names became a symbol of pride, and it started a shift in the culture where the naming patterns diverged, which has led to some stereotyping based on certain patterns of names. A name like Barack Obama, a Kenyan name, will certainly trigger certain kinds of prejudices. But if you picture that instead he had had a familiar American name like Tyrone Washington, that's not going to eliminate the prejudice. It's going to just shift it from maybe a xenophobia to American race relations. So do immigrants or first-generation parents put more emphasis on how they name their children than many generation Americans? I think in the past, immigrants definitely sweated names more. And, and there was good reason for it. There are actually studies showing that if you look at immigrants from 100 years ago, those who changed their first names to more common American names actually did better economically. Mm. But in the last generation, I think for better or worse, American-born parents have caught up in the angst race. There was an amazing study by economist uh, David Filio who looked at pairs of siblings where one sibling had a name with markers of slow socioeconomic status, and another sibling in the same family didn't, that name with with the negative markers made the child more likely to be left back in school, less likely to be recommended for gifted programs. Teachers were perceiving it and forming expectations, I'm sure not intentionally, that were shaping the children's futures. We're all at this point looking at what signals the names we choose send, because it's it's more divisive than ever before. Popular just means well-liked. So the more we choose interesting, creative, unusual names, the more likely it is that someone's not going to like them. 
that's a part of the immigrant experience mm. that I think more people perhaps should experience, which is having a moment when you ask, what should I be called? What do I want to represent me? Why are we all just accepting what our parents gave us? Now we'll hear from our friend Finn Gray Paul, a trans man, reading from an essay he wrote for the Mashup Americans on what it meant for him to choose his name to reflect his identity, hopes, and dreams when he transitioned. According to court documents on August 23, 2007, at the age of 26, my name became Finn Gray Paul. When you're trans, acts that appear neutral in every day, like showing your ID at the grocery store, responding to roll call in the classroom, and introducing yourself to new people are not without many layers. Your name and body can out you, erase your identity, cause emotional harm, and instigate physical violence. I had to boil down my gender, queer values, and cultural heritage into a first, middle, and last name. I wanted my name to represent me, a package of gender queerness and soft masculinity. And so I landed on Finn, derived from the adventures of Huckleberry Finn. When I was a kid, I had a deep longing to be Huck Finn. I wanted to be that boy with his pants rolled up, floating down the Mississippi on a raft, free and escaping. Finn symbolized a playful freedom and was an American classic. In the last moment at the courthouse, I also kept part of my birth name, my last name, Paul. It's not often when you meet a stranger on the street that you up and tell them your aspirations. But trans names do just this. Trans names are not the dreams of the people who named you, but your own. I think that that for transnaming in particular, there are a lot of different goals. There are some people who want to choose a very clearly gender-marked name to say, I want everyone who hears this to understand this is a feminine name. And there are some who do exactly the opposite, and they want to represent maybe a more fluid identity. I actually think it's remarkable how few people do change their names. It's There's still a taboo about it, even to the point that parents write to me in a panic because they want to change. They don't like the name they gave their three-month-old and are worried it's going to be scarring to change the name when they're still calling them little boo-boo. Yeah, you're like, that kid does not know its name yet, so don't even, just chill. <laughs> <laughs> My friends in high school renamed me Chloe, which at the time was a very rare name, and they decided that's what I should have been. That's the name they were picking at the age of 15, and that's the name that at the age of 30 they'd all be giving to their children. Wow. I know so many two-year-old Chloe's. Um, you know, now people are, are trying to retrace their roots in some way. So all these Michaels and Davids, that now their children have much more in some ways I don't even know, German names or traditional Irish names or, you know, names that reach back in some direction. What do you think that is about? I do think there's a, a, a search for connection. Partially it's just a freedom that wasn't there in previous generations, both the immigrant generations who were trying really hard to fit into a new culture and also even American-born generations who were in a very different naming place than we're in today. We talked about the idea that American names used to have a dress code. There used to be a, a really set small group of names that were normal names. Now that that isn't the case, there's a lot more freedom to express parts of yourself. In some cases, 
the act of choosing a name is choosing what ethnicity you've decided you are. Mm. I was looking at the the rising popularity of Irish names a while back. And it turns out that the number of Americans who consider themselves Irish or to have Irish heritage is actually larger than the entire population of Ireland. <laughs> it's like we're Irish by choice. If you have, you know, four different grandparents and one is Irish, people are choosing that as an ethnicity. Can you tell us a little bit about name superstitions in different cultures? Uh, a lot of the traditions around naming date to a time when parents were even more than today, concerned about infant mortality. Infant mortality rates used to be so high that you have traditions like in uh, Ashkenazi Jewish culture of trying to keep the angel of death away with the choice of name, either by avoiding names of living relatives. You don't want him to take right. the grandson instead of grandpa. Or there are traditional names like altar, meaning old one, which is trying to, to fool the angel of death. What? Guys, my husband is named after the angel of death. Well, that's another way to fool him. He sees himself. He's like, I can't kill this guy. Which me. Now, there's a stylish name. Uh, in but many countries, um, from uh, China to much of Africa, have a tradition of something like a milk name, it's called, that being given or at least called by a different name in childhood than you'll bear as an adult. In some cases, it would have been actually kind of an insulting name, like no bad spirits are going to come take dog boy. And then eventually you grow into the point where you're given or allowed to use your real name. What point does that happen? Like there's just something where like, you're okay, you're healthy enough, (laughs) you're in. In some cases, it might be when you start school. Um, in other cases, not until adulthood. It's part of the, the right of adulthood is that you become a man and you get a real name. Wow. So you wouldn't, like, get a name until your bar mitzvah? You'd be called something, in most <laughs> cases at least. But that doesn't mean it, it's your real name. I think that there's actually something to be said for letting an, an adolescent reach a certain point and name themselves. This Actually, that's one thing that no culture does. We're all across the world so obsessed with names that no culture gives up the right to name its children to them. Um, what do you find to be like the most surprising or compelling naming traditions from around the world? One of the things that surprises Americans the most isn't so much a matter of tradition, but law. We take for granted that we can name our kids anything we want, but in many parts of the world, Names are really tightly regulated. A lot of countries, uh, like from uh, Korea to Portugal to Denmark, have specific lists of names or characters that you are allowed to use, and you have to choose from that list. It's part of a, a culture often expresses its values, or a nation does, in what it lets you name your children. Wait, can we then talk about somewhere like... In Europe, does this new influx of immigrants that, you know, that has been changing so rapidly in the last several years because of the refugee crisis and a lot of just global migration, how does that impact these kind of naming rules? In some countries, there are actually explicit exceptions Mm. that in Portugal, there was a sort of a cultural purity basis to the law that you had to choose a name that was both Catholic and Portuguese. You couldn't even choose a Spanish Catholic name. But there were exceptions for 
uh, different nationalities and different religions, you could go and and register yourself as not being a Portuguese Catholic to to get out of it. Wait, I mean, but then don't you, aren't you like, remember the Inquisition, like, nearby? <laughs> exactly. Like, do we all want to register ourselves as, like, <laughs> other, <laughs> just in, in case? case. In in France, after World War II, there was an extraordinary uh, name regulation where they said, looking at the Holocaust, looking at the events, and wanting to prevent anti-Semitism in the future, they were changing the name laws to allow anyone with a Jewish name to change it and pretend to not be Jewish. That was their solution to anti-Semitism, is to eliminate Jewishness. Oh, great. What? What a great solution. <laughs> that's, well, that seems really simple, right? Like, yeah. Way. You know, if nobody knows you're Jewish, no problem. Yeah. Well, so we've talked about this, you know, there's this, like, revolution in naming culture. A, that people are, Americans more than ever, feel the anxiety of freedom. They feel like the anxiety of all this creativity and the pressure to kind of mark their children as, as who they're going to be and how they're going to compete on the global landscape forever and ever and ever. But, so what are we really evolving towards? If there's all these changes happening, is there an end game? Is there some place that you see American naming culture landing? It's a great question because people will ask, well, when is this going to stop? When is the name creativity going to stop and we'll go back to traditional names? But I don't think that's possible because we're raising the next generation of parents today in an environment where they never saw our old normal. They never knew the generation of John and Mary or, or even Dave and Jen. Increasingly, the lines even between names and words are breaking down. You can invent more. You can turn surnames into first names. And I think that we're moving still in a direction of less and less consensus, which is good and bad in different ways. That was Laura Wattenberg, the baby name wizard. So basically, we have learned today that we are not alone in our obsession with names. And even though it gives us angst, it's pretty awesome that in America we can basically do whatever we want when it comes to our names. Uh, side note, I don't think that we can eliminate anti-Semitism by just not having Jewish names. Gonna put that out there. Right. I agree with you on that one. <laughs> um, we also learned that sometimes choice makes things harder, actually. Like, damn, there's so many choices, and we want them to reflect all of our aspirations. And we want all of our kids to know who they are and where they come from and be proud of it. And we want all of our families to be proud of the future we're creating. Uh, uh, <laughs> all of the weight of being a mashup American. I know. No pressure. Love you. Mean it. <laughs> <laughs> but we really do love you, listeners. <laughs> we do love you. So don't forget to head to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash mashupamericans, and tell us your Starbucks name. And with that, we leave you with the words of the immortal Marlo Stanfield. My name is my name. The Mashup Americans are me, Amy Sanju Choi. And me, Rebecca Henny Sophia Goodfriend Lehrer. Our producer today was Jocelyn Gonzalez. Our show is produced by American Public Media and Southern California Public Radio, KPCC. We're also supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Besos. Ciao. Hey, 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 hey.